Human papillomavirus vaccine, aka HPV, savior or seducer. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and joining me today at the Clinician's Roundtable is Dr. Joseph Bocchini. Dr. Bocchini is a professor and chairman of the Department of Pediatrics at the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in Shreveport, Louisiana, and chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Today we are discussing the controversy, benefits, and concerns surrounding the HPV vaccine. Welcome, Dr. Bocchini, and thank you for joining me at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Dr. Rutenberg. I read a study in this month's British Medical Journal, published from the University of Oxford researchers, who reviewed 13 trials involving more than 15,000 U.S. youth. Their startling finding was that, quote, no abstinence-only program had beneficial effect on incidence of unprotected vaginal sex, number of partners, condom use, sexual initiation, incidence of pregnancy, or incidence of sexually transmitted diseases, unquote. Isn't it time we get our heads out of the sand and do what's right for our patients? I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think that, in general, parents tend to underestimate the prevalence of sexual activity of uh, adolescents. In addition, in many cases, physicians underestimate the uh, sexual activity of the patients that they take care of. There is a significant amount of data, including the analysis that you mentioned in the recent article. The CDC has published data uh, in their Youth Risk Behavior Survey uh, annually, which indicates that a very significant percentage of adolescents become sexually active during high school years and that many of them have multiple partners. And in addition, uh, over 50% of the time, they don't take protective measures such as use of condoms each time they have a sexual encounter. So you're right, we need to pay attention to the fact that people become sexually active frequently during adolescence and as a result we need to educate families, in particular educate young adolescents so that if they choose to be sexually active we can offer them the best protection against acquisition of a sexually transmitted disease. When a parent comes in and say, is somewhat resistant to having their child immunized. As a primary care physician, what talking points would you recommend that we use with the parents to show them how important this vaccine is and hopefully change their minds? Well, I think one thing that's extremely helpful is that most women undergo routine pap testing annually or biannually, and they do that for protection against cervical cancer. And I think that the important thing for this vaccine is to emphasize that two of the four HPV types that are in the vaccine are responsible for 70% of cases of cervical cancer. And I think since most women undergo pap testing and understand the risks of cervical cancer, I think that it's very important to emphasize that this vaccine can play a very significant role in improving the health of their daughters uh, by providing protection against at least a significant portion of the strains of HPV that produce uh, cervical cancer. In addition, uh, I think it's also important for parents to understand that virtually everybody who becomes sexually active, no matter when they become sexually active, is going to encounter HPV. This is a very common viral infection. 
It affects individuals within the first two years after they become sexually active, and based on studies that are available, more than 50% of the population is infected by at least one serotype, and in many cases, many more serotypes uh, during their lifetime. So it's a common infection, although many cases are asymptomatic and many cases resolve spontaneously, the incidence of cervical cancer is high enough to make this vaccine a very important part of women's health. In addition to uh, cervical cancer, HPV is responsible for a number of other anogenital cancers, and there is now epidemiologic data that indicates that the type 16 and 18, which are in the vaccine, are responsible for genital cancers may also be an important cause of a number of nasopharyngeal cancers as well. Uh, so this is a extremely important vaccine, and I think by emphasizing those points, I think it would be helpful to for most parents so that they will then understand the potential benefits uh, of this vaccine for their daughters. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Bocchini, Chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We are discussing the human papillomavirus vaccine, consensus or controversy. Do you think boys will become immunized as well? The data on boys is going to be available very shortly. The studies have been underway for um, a number of years. They were begun after the studies were started in women, but we will very likely have uh, data on the efficacy of this vaccine in older boys uh, from age about 18 or 16 through their late 20s. Once we have this data, we'll then be able to make a decision about cost-effectiveness and inclusion of boys within the vaccine recommendations. My general feeling is it's very likely that this vaccine will function as effectively in boys as it has in women since we have no previous vaccine which worked differently in in men than women. It's very likely that this vaccine will be the same, Uh, but we won't know that until the studies are done. But once they're done, we'll have the data on which to make that decision. Another controversial issue was the direct-to-consumer advertising of this product. Merck had this, and I thought it was a brilliant campaign called One Less, and it was taken off the air. Did that bother you, that program that, I mean, to me, it was almost an infomercial rather than just a plain commercial? I think that when we started three or four years ago, there was very little understanding of HPV and its role in the development of cervical cancer. So anything that supported public education of uh, HPV improving the knowledge of HPV and the risks of infection, I think were appropriate and didn't matter whether it came from the company or came from the CDC or other organizations. I think the difficulty that I had with the Merck campaign was when it became a political campaign and they went to various state legislatures and worked very closely to work towards the development of mandates for the vaccine. I think that development of mandates prior to the public having a good feel for the vaccine, an understanding of the vaccine, an understanding of the diseases that or manifestations of infection that the vaccine can protect against, really went ahead of what we needed to do. And I think the backlash that we're seeing is not related specifically to the vaccine, 
but to the push for mandates, which then brought in a whole series of issues that had nothing to do specifically with the safety or efficacy of the vaccine, but raised the issues of parental consent, parental control, conservative approach to uh, preventing sexually transmitted diseases, and a whole series of other things which specifically were not related to the vaccine. So education was fine, but uh, efforts to, to push mandates, I think, is where we saw a significant backlash. You mentioned safety and efficacy. I understand you were recently at a conference at the CDC in Atlanta where the first year's experience with HPV or Gardasil was discussed. What have we learned so far about safety and efficacy? The evidence so far is that the level of safety that was shown in the original clinical trials uh, appears to be what we're seeing with the general use of the vaccine out in the public. There has been no specific unexpected uh, safety issue that has arisen with the use of this vaccine. One thing that has come up, though, in the VAERS reports that is, is very important for us to recognize is that a number of years ago, we didn't give many vaccines to adolescents. We are now giving a panel of vaccines to adolescents. And one of the things that's being reported to VAERS, not only with HPV, but with Tdap and Menactra, is syncope. It's very important for us to remember that adolescents who receive injections very commonly experience syncope. Although it's not a specific side effect of the vaccine, it's important for us to remember that if we give injections to adolescents, uh, the best thing for us to do is to have that adolescent sit or lay down uh, in our offices for at least 15 minutes so that if there is an acute episode of syncope, uh, it won't potentially end up with an injury due to a fall. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Bocchini, Chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We are discussing the human papillomavirus vaccine, consensus or controversy. We're seeing a number of vaccines whose potency or duration of immunity seems to not be as long-lasting as we had predicted. Will HPV efficacy also be monitored in the same way? Obviously, the concern that if it's given to 11, 12-year-olds when they're 25, 30, that they may have no longer be protected? Yeah, this is an important question. And uh, with any new vaccine, we won't know the duration of protection of the original series. And so like with many vaccines, um, it is possible that in the future there will be a need for a booster dose. There are ongoing studies. In fact, Merck does have a study uh, in which individuals have received the vaccine for as long as two years prior to when the vaccine was first licensed in the United States. And that cohort will continue to be followed to look for evidence of either breakthrough disease or waning immunity. Um, and that will serve as a test to determine whether uh, initial doses uh, or booster doses may be necessary. But at this point, we won't know. Regarding complications, I've seen scattered reports on Guillain-Barre syndrome, myocarditis, thromboembolism. Are any of those things thought to be linked to the vaccine? The evidence at the present time is that none of those are linked to the vaccine. In fact, thromboembolism was seen in the clinical trials of the vaccine, uh, but it turned out that the same number of cases occurred uh, in the placebo group as in the vaccine recipients. So it's not a concern if the woman's on a birth control pill? 
know that birth control pills uh, by themselves are going to be associated with an increased risk of thrombosis and thromboembolism. So uh, that is a risk of the birth control pill rather than the vaccine. But they can still safely get the vaccine even if on the pill. That's correct. In a nutshell, do you have a take-home message as our time is going quickly by regarding the vaccine? I think that if you look at the data that's available in terms of the safety and efficacy of this vaccine versus the potential complications of an HPV infection, there's no question that this vaccine, the cost-benefit ratio and and the efficacy is such that uh, this vaccine should be considered for all adolescents uh, as recommended by the CDC and the AAP. I want to thank Dr. Joseph Bocchini, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the benefits, controversy, and concerns surrounding the HPV vaccine. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.